0: Send them with some advice to local people who desire to take a big risk, move, you know, pursue their passion, even if it's just to to blaze a new trail here at home.
1: I would say do it. I honestly believe there's never a good time to do anything. You know, like you can always push off starting a new business push off having a child push off you know um, going back to school but like you just have to do it now is the time and um, you never want to look back thinking I wish I would have done that or I should have done that Mm. Um, I didn't know I was being brave when I was being brave I was scared to death moving out to California I was scared to death Driving to Warner Brothers and, you know, uh, getting lost. But somehow I didn't know. I was very courageous and I was very brave.
0: It's easy to get stuck on am I going to fail or am I not going to fail? Oh, yeah. That's like a paralyzing lens to few, view the world right. through. Right. The new local Legends Podcast <laughs> Real small town success stories.
1: We have quite the lineups.
0: And As made, it's time to turn. Rick, Welcome to the speakeasy. The amount of love and compassion. The hope that's been bubbling up in the last few years. The finer things about Portland. You just don't see that everywhere. Local legends only. Welcome back to the Local Legends Podcast. Today I'm in the Glockner Speakeasy with a local Hollywood legend. <laughs> She's played a big part in producing the longest running multi camera comedy uh, show in TV history, as well as many other notable TV series from right here in Portsmouth, Ohio. This is episode 53 with Miley Millsap. Thanks for joining Hi, me. Hi,
1: thanks for having me. Of it's course. It's great to be here.
0: Um, introduce yourself, Miley, just the Wikipedia summary of who you are.
1: Okay, I'm Miley gherkin Millsap. I grew up in Portsmouth, Ohio. Um, I went to Notre Dame High School. After high school, I went to Elon University in North Carolina. There I had a double major in journalism and corporate communications and a minor in dance. And uh, after college, I got my first job in Charleston, West Virginia at WC WCHS TV, mm. um, which is the ABC affiliate. And there I was an account executive. So I sold TV ads for the TV station. Oh wow! And then I was there for like two to three years before I decided to make the leap into moving into or moving to California to get into TV producing. Mm. And I've been there for the last 15 years.
0: Wow. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's quite the jump from you know, growing up in Saudi County to ending up across the country on the the set of The Big Bang Theory among other TV series producing what's now considered to be, like, one of the most successful sitcoms of all time. So, like, talk to us about that journey a little bit. I mean, did you envision yourself working on a project like that? Was that always the goal, was to get in the television, or...? or?
1: Uh, No, not actually, but it's kind of funny because um, I notice my life is starting to mirror my parents' life. Mm -hmm. So my parents were both um, long-term employees for United Airlines. They were based in L.A. when my two brothers, my sister and I, were all born. So I was born in L.A., but we moved to Portsmouth when I was, uh, like, six years old. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just crazy because... I have done the same thing now. You know, looking back, I never thought, once I got back to California, I never thought I'd be back in Portsmouth. Right. And I've been back for a year now. So it's been really exciting. Um, I didn't, I mean, I wanted to be a dancer when I grew up. That's what I spent my whole life in Portsmouth doing. Mm. I started competing probably when I was about six or seven years old. And, you know, I minored in dance because once I got into college, I realized... Maybe dance wasn't the career I wanted, but I wanted it as like a backup, as if like maybe I would start as a dancer and then like 10 years down the road, maybe I would go into journalism or work for Discovery or the Travel Channel or something like that. So I never and honestly, I never thought I could work in Hollywood. It just seemed Mm -hmm. like too big of a dream or, you know, something that I wouldn't be able to achieve. You know, it was just like such a big dream for me to have
0: of course that yeah that's like I mean arguably the dream you know that you always hear about it's like Hollywood
1: yeah and then yeah so being in Charleston for a few years I was like yeah I don't think I can see myself living here forever if not now why not now you know so I just packed up and um I had my truck shipped out to LA and my truck that I got from Andy's Toyota 2000 Toyota Tacoma have
0: the Glockner tag on it it said Andy's yeah yeah. (laughs) I still see those around town yeah those are the best
1: and um it's actually still in California like I drove it I've driven it for 20 years what was it I did 2000 Toyota Tacoma no way yeah and you know That is like the best truck ever. This is a hell of an advertisement right here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Best truck ever. But, you know, we would always make fun of my dad because he always bought his cars from Glockner, but um, he would keep them for like way longer than he needed to keep them. And we're like, Dad, they want you to like buy cars every few years, not keep them for 20. For like a
0: generation at (laughs) a time. And he would tell
1: Mike, like, just put it in the showroom and just show them how great these cars are. But... um, So that was always fun. But, yeah, I'm just like my dad. I've had this car for 22 years. It's still in L.A. But anyway, um, yeah, so just, you know, I left with a hope and a prayer. And I was lucky enough to have an aunt who had some friends who worked in the entertainment business. And Mm -hmm. that's how I kind of got my in. She just sent some emails to some friends saying my, you know, niece is looking to get into the business. Do you guys have anything? And then one guy was like, "Yeah, I'm starting on a new show. Why don't you have her come in an interview?" Mm, wow! Well. So that was in 2006, and it was on a show called The Class. It shot at the Warner Brothers Studio Lot, and you know, I'm like driving in my Toyota Tacoma really early because I had no idea to what to expect. Of course, I got lost driving to Burbank. Like, <laughs> I got off on the wrong exit. Didn't know where I was going. This is pre-GPS, pre you know, quest, or maybe I did print out MapQuest things. I'm not sure. But anyway, <laughs> um, but, yeah, then they sent me to a place to park. I couldn't find the parking lot. So it was just like a disaster, and I was thinking, I'm never going to get this job. They're going to think I'm, you know, the biggest loser. I can't <laughs> even get there on time. But thankfully, they were running behind, so I, like, sat there waiting, and I was there early. It ended up being um, – But yeah, so that was my first job as a production assistant on the show, The Class.
0: Wow. Um, I'd like for you to talk a little bit, maybe what were your first roles and responsibilities uh, as a production assistant? Yeah,
1: so uh, production assistant is like the entry-level job in the production office. Mm -hmm. I'm making copies, answering the phones, going on runs. Uh, You know, this is also when... You know, everything was paper, so we're running around the lot with contracts or call sheets or production reports, um, doing runs from stage to the production office, going grocery shopping, organizing the kitchen, you know, just like everything that nobody wants to do, that's what the production (laughs) assistant does. And so looking back, I'm just so glad that that's where I started because I obviously... Respect that work. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, took great pride in it then. I was, I think, 25 years old when I was a production assistant. I thought I was so far behind because there's some people who started out at like 18 doing that job. And I was like thinking I was so old and starting so late. But now looking back, I'm like, no, it was fine. But maybe having a little bit of work experience before that kind of gave me an upper hand because I just knew what it took to, like, you know, work hard, even if you're doing – even if you're making coffee or going on coffee runs. Mm. Like, people will notice when you do a good job.
0: Yeah, and is it like – um, I mean, how, like, the studio that you're working in, being War Bros, is, like, the budget and time frames so tight that, like, everyone's constantly staying on set eating together? Is that kind of how it works? Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. Yes, yeah.
1: when you're shooting – you're looking at like 12 to 14 hour days Hmm. and you're on a soundstage the entire time. So you're getting like bathroom breaks or 10 minute breaks here and there in between resets, but you're there like 12 to 14 hours a day Hmm. all day long. Wow. So,
0: So, uh, like, I guess, how did you excel, uh, Myla? Did you, um, like uh, going from one project to another, were you working on the class for a long time or kind of like what was your progression oh, yeah. in the industry? Well, it's
1: funny you ask because the class was supposed to be the next Friends. It was an ensemble cast and the creator was actually a co-creator of Friends. Wow. The producer was just coming off of Will and Grace, so it had like all of this like... Great buzz! You yeah, know, we yeah. even shot on the Friends stage, which is stage 24 at Warner Brothers. Wow! So we're like, oh yeah, we're going to go for like 10 years. This is going to be great. We lasted one season, <laughs> didn't get picked up. So, and then that's the thing. It's like with these shows, you're not guaranteed a job like tomorrow. They huh. would shut down a show today if they didn't like where the the direction it was going, in. so sure. That was really crazy to, like, think that, um, you know, I couldn't have a job at the end of the season or whatever, you know. And um, the people I worked with in the production office were like, that's just the nature of the business. Don't worry. You'll find something after this. Something always comes up. And the UPM at the time, he'd been working for 20 years, and he said he'd never been on a second-season show. And that made me want to like throw up and <laughs> like, I don't know <laughs> if I can handle that. You know, like you went your whole career never having a second season show. Mm. And he's like, it just works out. You just have to believe and, you know, think positively and stuff. And thankfully, I'm a very positive person. So I always do think that good is going to come about. And, you know, I'm not thinking negatively about anything. But um, so after the class, one of my friends who was an assistant on the class, she already got hired on the Big Bang Theory as an assistant to the co-EP. So she gave my resume, you know, with like two things. I have the class and WCHS TV and then college, you know, like I still felt so inexperienced, even though I was still just a production assistant. Yeah. But um, so I walk in there and I knew other people from other shows on the lot. Cause like when you're a production assistant, you're running around like on golf carts and stuff and you like meet, other PAs right right people in accounting or you know just people all over the lot and so that you always have people putting in good words for you and stuff um so I walk in and I like see other people I know who you know their shows got canceled too and they've been in the business way longer than I have so I'm just like oh my gosh you know this is horrible (laughs) And then I was so lucky because the line producer and the UPM were both from Hawaii and I walk in and I was like, oh my gosh, it feels like I'm like hanging out with my like aunties, you know? (laughs) So my mom was born and raised on the big island of Hawaii. So that's how I get like my name. It's Hawaiian. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then my dad's born and raised in Portsmouth. That's how I ended up here. But anyway, um. So going into interview at the Big Bang Theory, it really felt good. But still walking away, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'll get it. Da, 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 da. Sure. But, but um,
0: as you're I, – I like this concept that you bring up of like if you make coffee well kind of thing, then yeah. that, uh, then it's like a natural progression, like doing ever whatever the little task is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Doing it with excellence kind of thing. So do you think that uh, – was part of your success in excelling in the industry and getting these bigger gigs? Of course.
1: Um, Doing the little things and always just keeping a positive attitude about it all. You know, like I take note of when people are taking out the trash, you know, are they huffing and puffing or are they just doing it because it's what needs to be done, you know? Mm, yeah. And that's what I look for when I hire people, too. It's just someone who has a positive attitude and will just get the work done and not complain about stuff. And that's kind of how I was. And mm-hmm. I think people saw that in me and liked me to work with them. You know, like I was a pleasant person to work with, and I think that helped. Yeah, of
0: course. Um, well, let's talk about yeah your experience on The Big Bang Theory. Obviously, you got the gig. I but, got
1: the job. <laughs> but
0: like when you're working on something uh, like this, Do you feel like there were obvious signs, uh, as you're like, uh, at the beginning of stages of the show that indicated that this project was like something special, you know, did you feel like it was something special?
1: It felt special, like in the production office for me because of the producer, the UPM, other people that I was working with, Mm -hmm. my friend who recommended me and there were other people's like, or people, um, the editor, assistant editor, they were also on the class and, Mm. The director from the class who is Jimmy Burroughs who's like the most famous director in television he was also doing the um Big Bang first episode mm. so I was like oh you know I've done one show and I know people yeah, yeah. I know people here you know <laughs> and that was kind of cool it made me feel like okay you kind of know what you're doing a little bit you know and um but it felt special there the actual show was still, like, trying to find its legs, you know. They mm-hmm. had recast, or they had rewritten the pilot for what it was. They had already shot it. it CBS didn't pick it up, but they hmm. gave them a second chance to, like, rework it, and that's when they brought in Kaylee Cuoco. So it was always Johnny, oh. Jim, and the. I think originally it was, like, two other women, and then they got rid of those characters, and they added the Penny character, who like lives across the street from, the, or, or across the hall from them. Uh-huh. And then that's what went and succeeded. But um, the fall of that first season is when the writer's strike happened. So the like WGA was uh, fighting. This is when. It was all about new media. When mm-hmm. you know things from broadcast are now like online, and now you're starting to see like streaming services and things like that, or even like on demand. You know, you're not watching like in real time. Right. So um, the writers went on strike for like a hundred days, and so in November of two thousand seven, we um, were pretty much shut down. Everyone was like told to go home and you know come back when it's over. And I was like, of course, it's like my first year in the business. I'm like, what is happening? Does this happen a lot? Do, are strikes a thing, you know? Um, thankfully my parents were living in Maui at the time. So, of course, I had like no money. So, I just went and lived with my parents in Maui for the writer's strike and um, as Probably the best gig, just oh, hanging for out. Sure. And I think my brother was living there at the time, so it <laughs> was really so fun. Union, yeah. yeah.
0: But how how yeah. long did that last? It
1: was a hundred days. The wow. strike. So I think we left in like November, and then we weren't even like allowed to come back onto the lot. So he was just like, leave. And then I don't know. We came back March or f- something like that. And uh, and then I remember my UPM calling me. I was in Hawaii, and she's like would you like to come back? I think we're going to be able to come back soon. I'm like, yeah, of course. Are you kidding me? And then during that time is actually when they started like replaying uh, reruns of The Big Bang Theory because there's no new shows because no shows were being produced because all of the writers were on strike.
0: I didn't realize there was a point in time where this happened. That's cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So they're just showing reruns of shows and that's actually how – um, Big Bang got some of its popularity is because no one there was no new shows, uh-huh. so people were like watching other shows. Well, you know? it's
0: it's also cool to hear, my Miley, that like this thing that became a cultural phenomenon, you know, and when one ten Amy, Emmy's, you know, twelve seasons, like that, it wasn't an initial success, like an or no, an instant success. You know, all. they had rewritten the pilot, yeah, they changed, the, like. Of
1: Yeah, even, I think it wasn't until like season three or four that it actually gained popularity. Mm. And, you know, we always like, we were still hoping we would get picked up for another season. It Mm. wasn't until after season four that they started picking up, you know, two seasons at a time, three seasons at a time. Oh, wow. These first four years were just like any other show, just hoping that we get another season wow yeah
0: um but you know now like what the big bang theory is, is it's just one of those shows that it feels so effortless funny entertaining you know people like fall put it on and fall asleep to it like you know it's like yeah um but what i want to get from you is a better understanding of the effort that like goes into creating work like this right where people you know spend countless hours of their life participating in it yeah. so can you tell us more about um just the Like the business of art, like what goes into uh, a production like this to make something so level? Because it's obviously intentional, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, um, you know, through the years, I was able to work my way up and, you know, get um, promotions. Mm -hmm. And that also took leaving the Big Bang Theory to get promotions. Because, you know, by season four, nobody was leaving because they knew we were getting picked up for three more seasons. So I actually left the show to get a hot, as to be a production coordinator on another show and wow. it was um at Warner Brothers. So it was good. I was just like next door or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um so as the years I've like risen through the ranks. So I can speak now as like a producer and a UPM which is a unit production manager. Mm-hmm. But um so my responsibilities now are more like managerial. So instead of, you know, making the coffee I get the coffee made for me? No, just kidding. (laughs) That sounds horrible. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, But just uh, I'm in charge of the entire crew. All the departments have department heads, but I would deal with all of the department heads, let them know what is going on with the scripts, give them heads up, hire, fire. Um, Financially, I created all the budgets for the show. And then we have to make sure... Every, you know, every episode is different. Like our goal is whatever's written on the, on the page of the script, we have to make sure it's like that on your TV or screens now. Uh-huh. So that's my job is to make sure that we stay on budget. Once I create it, um, you know, financially I would sign every paycheck, every purchase order, every cent that would go through the show, I would have to approve and sign wow. and That goes along the same lines with like scheduling because, you know, every day we're employing hundreds and hundreds of people. So every minute costs a lot of money. So after creating the schedule, whether it's for the season or for the day or for the week, it's my job to make sure that we stay on schedule. We stay on track, you know. The train is moving, so it's my job to make sure like that yeah. train doesn't crash or burn. <laughs> or, you know. Well, do
0: you feel like uh, do you feel like you were prepared for that role, or was it initially really overwhelming? Like, how did you? I guess how what what were your action steps to manage? I think like I was that? definitely
1: prepared because of the four years that I was at The Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of my mentors was the producer there, Faye. She had worked in the business, you know, twenty, thirty years. Everyone really respected her. She did a really great job. Um, She was very kind to everyone that she worked with. And I looked up to her like, that's the kind of producer I want to be. Like, Hmm. she gets her stuff done and everyone respects her. She doesn't have to be rude or mean Hmm. to get the job done. And, you know, I would say I would be working for Faye and it wouldn't matter what show or what show this person was on, they would always have some great things to say. So that was one of the things, like, um, she prepared me because I think she knew. She was like, well, they kind of, like, trained and prepared me to move on because they're like, you can go on and do great things on your own. You don't have to, like, stay on the show forever and just, like, you know, ride the coattails of the show. Granted, that would be very easy and – you know, you don't have to work as hard once a show is established. It just kind of, like, runs itself a little bit. Um, But they always encouraged me to, like, do more. And so I feel like they really trained me to be prepared. Even going off as a coordinator, I was prepared to be a producer.
0: Do you remember specific things that Faye uh, taught you that were, like, light bulb moments, anything?
1: Oh, gosh. Honestly, just watching her work through example. I was her assistant at one time. Mm-hmm. So I was sitting outside of her desk and I would listen to every phone call that she had and, you know, just how she treated me as an assistant and how she always wanted to like bring people in, have them work their way up. Like that was always something that I learned from her. It was just by example.
0: Mm. Yeah, it it really is. Amazing, what it sounds like you're saying it's it's amazing how like that emotional intelligence people have, just like with treating people respect, like soft skills end yeah. up making like one of the biggest differences in the end. You yeah,
1: know? for sure.
0: I I think in I feel like every creator experiences it. There's often like a disconnect between what you're creating and passionate about, and you mm-hmm. know other people's interest in it. You know, at some point you're going to experience like it and it's natural to ask the question why don't people care about this business artwork or story or book like i do right right? like this thing that i'm making pouring my heart into and i think especially in the early stages of a project it's something that really discourages people from continuing to create and push Mm -hmm. and, and evolve and maybe you felt that way initially like uh uh, getting into the business the one guy telling you you know he's never had a like anything that's gone past the first season right. you know those kind of things can be discouraging so um, what advice would you give to local people about how they can create something that other people would like want to participate in like yeah. some of the shows you've worked on
1: well um honestly i feel like if you believe in yourself if you believe in what you're creating or the product that you have just like keep going at it you know not everyone can find success immediately Mm. and a lot of times it takes a lot of you know hard work determination and just like commitment to what you're creating and what you have so like if you think that you can do it just do it because you know uh, there's nothing like the present. Mm. I just always thought like granted there are times that you know you put things off because you're scared or you're down and out or whatever but I believe there's never a good time I mean there's never a right time you know things just happen for a reason they happen um sometimes without you even having any control over it you know like like that guy with like Never having a second season, that's not because he's doing a good or a bad job. It's because of the shows that he's working on mm. are not getting picked up, you know, so I think if you are interested in what you're doing or believe in what you're doing, just keep on doing it mm. yeah,
0: and even uh the example when like you said, in the big Bang pilots uh being rewritten I yeah. mean that's a good example of the creative process like I think we romanticize this idea of like. Uh, you know, I'm going to create this thing and everyone's going to love it like right off the bat. But sometimes it really does take uh, feedback and collaboration and like, and like reworking uh, a lot of it. You know what I mean? Just more time to like season the idea kind of thing. Yeah.
1: And sometimes you'll be married to an idea. You're married to, you know, exactly what you want. You Mm -hmm. know, you think it's perfect, but then you maybe have some friends or mentors or whatever, give you some notes and you see things in a different light and you're like oh yeah that's actually a really good idea or you know sure. find that in like writing and right, a, right. a lot of things and that,
0: that's that's powerful with uh this a powerful example you know the things that they're creating at Warner Brothers studio there's like uh, obviously groups of writers or writer rooms or you know it's very collaborative like the the projects you're you're Mm -hmm. working on so that's really the power of that Like that's why they're creating such valuable media yeah Yeah.
1: and then you have notes coming in from the studio and the network that you know the writers are always like our ideas are better (laughs) but they're the ones that like (laughs) sign that final approval so sometimes they have to take the notes and then Sometimes they dismiss them, but Mm. it is a collaboration for sure.
0: Um, are there any other like values, principles that you feel like have helped you be successful in your career, rise to the ranks and build this, this kind of 15 year dream?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, kind of like what I was talking about starting from the bottom, you know, I was making coffee, doing runs. I was always hardworking. I always had a good attitude. Um, I was trust- trustworthy and, you know, people could rely on me. You right. know, If I had to open up the office at 4.30 a.m., like, I could do that. And they would know I would be there, I'd get the coffee going, you know. Um, I think these are all very important, you know, skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my first time, like, leaving home for my first job out of college. My dad, he gave me three words or three things for advice starting off, you know, he said, always tell the truth, do the right thing, and don't take any crap from anybody. (laughs) And I can honestly say, like, pretty much have always told the truth. You know, I think I always do the right thing. Um, But I think also being a female, young in Hollywood, I definitely took some crap from people that I wish I now looking back, I'm like, I should have said this or that, you know, sure. So that's something that, like, as you grew older, you kind of, like, right. get more courage to stand up for yourself and, right. you know, especially if you're dealing with people who are, like, you know, 25 years older than you, you think, mm-hmm. I should be respectful or I'll just not say anything in return, you know, but, um, so that's one of the things that I've worked on as I've, you know, gained more confidence in my career.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's what it is for. I I can relate to that. Like when you're, when your self-esteem is lower, you don't really feel like you have the kind of the place to, uh, say something that's important, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or even if you're experienced, like I only have six years experience and this person has 35 years experience. Right. Right. Um, but then you just, learn to finally speak up for yourself Mm. after more experience.
0: (laughs) um, What about uh, books, uh, literature, articles, media, anything that like you feel has impacted you that you'd recommend to a friend to read that's contributed to your success? I mean.
1: Well, the first thing that comes to mind, it's an older book, um, Lean In, uh written by Sheryl Sandberg, who's the CEO of Facebook. Mm -hmm. She talks a lot about exactly what I was just talking about. Um, You know, women sitting at the table, you know, the conference table, don't take that seat in the back, sit at the table. There's a reason why you're there. Mm. Speak up, um, know your worth, things like that, Um, which to read and, you know, probably like 10 years ago, it was probably just like a really important time in my career too, where it's just kind of feeling like I was, advancing in a way that I was like finally the boss and you know I needed people to respect me because although I looked like I was 25 I wasn't you know um but um that book actually gave me a lot of the confidence you know as a female as a woman in production that you know my voice matters and she also talked about which is important now for me is like the balance of family and work, you know, to mm. have like high stress jobs that require you to be there 24 seven or at least to be on 24 right. seven, like how to balance with your family. She you just, you know, talked about setting boundaries for yourself, mm. setting your expectations, let your family know exactly when and where you're going to be, when and where you'll be there. Let work know when and where you'll be there. Right. Um, And just try to have, like, a guideline of what everyone needs to expect from you at home and at work.
0: And that's awesome. Yeah, because do you feel you're talking about 12 to 14-hour days? Is that that something you had to learn over time? It was, like, tricky to manage at first, kind of your personal life, those those relationships you value in this really, like, you know, high-demand job?
1: Yeah, well, in the beginning, like, I just committed my entire life to my job, you Mm -hmm. know? So, if I had to work, that's all I would do. I would yeah. never call off or um you know, I wasn't taking vacation. I wasn't taking days off. you know, you don't take days off in production, you're just there, yeah, and you're there all day long. And so it really changed a lot when I had my daughter like two two and a half years ago, because <clears throat> you know, I was ready, you know I was I found out I was pregnant, I was doing a pilot. And then a month before I gave birth to Luna, I was doing a pilot. And then What what, what
0: was the pilot? Well,
1: the first one I was doing was Patty's Auto, and it was um, at Warner Brothers. And um, it was about female mechanics who had, like, a shop. And they just, like, were ruling the world. And, of course, it was an awesome pilot. I was like, this is going to go. This is great. Didn't get picked up. And then – I think a couple of months later we did the Nate Bargatze pilot and he's a comedian. Actually he's from like Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, really? And he's like so fun and down to earth. So I'm like eight months pregnant doing this pilot. And, um, we had such a good time doing that. That didn't get picked up. And then it was, I had Luna in October. And then a few months later, call me cat comes along. Mm-hmm. And this was starring Mayim Bialik who was on the big bang theory. And it was actually like a great pilot show. Everyone was in a bidding war for it. So they actually Fox actually picked it up, bought it for a pilot plus 12 episodes. Wow. Which normally they just do the pilot, see if it's good, you know, they test it, see how it does. But because it was Mayim and she's coming off of the Big Bang Theory, well, Fox was like, itself, "We'll take kind of, it." Yeah. You know. And then I was actually working with one of the producers from the Big Bang Theory on it. So it was she and I now, you know, running the ship. And um, then three weeks into production, COVID hit, and we're shut down. Everyone to go home, similar to like the writer's strike, except, sure. I mean, very similar, because we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know if we were going to be gone for like a week or three months or what, you know. Um, and How then, long did
0: you end up being gone?
1: Well, that was in March, you know, that same week of March where everyone shut down. And then um, I started, we actually came to Portsmouth to hang out during the summertime and just loved it. And I started working from home here in Portsmouth, like say July. And then I was back in LA in August, ready Mm. to revamp the production offices, open up the stage again and get rolling again. And then that's when... You know, we had spent the summer in Portsmouth, enjoyed our time here. And then after the pilot, I actually gave up those first 12 episodes to leave Call Me Cat and to move back to Portsmouth at that time. So, And a lot of that had to do with, you know, being able to spend more time with my daughter. You know, Mm. she was only six, eight months, not even a year old yet. And I got to have that time with her. And I just thought, you know what? I'm not, I'm never going to get this time back. And especially before school years, I'm like, why not take the time to spend with her and, you know, enjoy life with her. Um, When I was in LA, I had a nanny who was there for the 14 hours. And I was like, that's just not fair to any of us that someone else is taking care of our child, you know? So that was like a big sacrifice I made for our family. But I think in the end, it's totally worth it. Oh, of course. um, at the end of the day there's always going to be another show that I can work on, you know, but I'll never get those years back. That's with true.
0: Her. Yeah, and that that's powerful my I remember like uh Mike Lochner saying one time um that uh you know because his his the people before him, his ancestors, granddad, father, they just all worked so hard and it was like there was there was uh something to be said about ha- just less flexibility like that. And remote work wasn't a possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like a different time, but mm-hmm. th- that I think we get these preconceived notions in our head of like how we need to live our life because of right. those things in the past. But it's, I think it's really, uh, um, you know, you had a lot of presence of mind to realize that th- that is not how you had to raise your family, right, you know? Right. You know? So that's and like
1: moving back to Portsmouth, I was able to pivot, you know, I was like, I have to be doing something. I can't just, take care of my daughter all the time that is like the hardest job in the world yeah, by the way yeah. you know there's been days where I'm like gosh I wish I was on set for 16 hours today <laughs> it'd be a lot easier you know um, that is the truth man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but um and then since being back I've worked to develop projects you know I've been trying to develop projects here in Portsmouth for years and it just takes a lot of time uh-huh. and so being back here has helped um helped me be able to really get into it and you know hopefully we'll start rolling cameras again soon so instead of being on that production side on a sound stage I'm working to highlight some of the comeback stories here in Portsmouth so you know being in LA I always stayed in touch with friends and family here so I always knew what was going on but um Mm. it felt weird that people were telling Portsmouth story who weren't from Portsmouth so I was like I should be doing that. Like, what the heck? Like, People trust me. Those are my people. Why not me? You know? So, that's what I've been working on now in the interim. So
0: That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Can can you share any more about that? Or if not, that's okay.
1: (laughs) Probably not. I mean, no, no, I shouldn't. (laughs) And you can cut that out if you want. Because I'm like, because it's in the development stages, it's like so hard. And, you know, I just, one, it's like always taking a different route, you know. Sure, but sure.
0: Well, no, that's exciting to hear <laughs> that you're uh, that you're like using these talents to and bringing them to like a you know a place that means so much to you. That's yeah. really awesome.
1: Well, and that's the thing. I figure I've made enough connections in LA that hopefully, you know, kind of like you were saying, like if you're creating something that other people don't quite get or they're not like. They are not passionate as you are. Like this is kind of my passion project now. Yeah. It's like, come on, people! Like this is amazing stories. Like or these are amazing stories. People are doing wonderful things here, and I want to show that.
0: Well, in it, that is that's an interesting uh, point to touch on. My is like I feel like people in Appalachia in general, just like these rural cities, river cities. We, like, disqualify ourselves real easily from, like, any kind of spotlight, any kind of value. Um, You know, I was reading Brad Feld's book, uh, Startup Communities, and he was talking about how, like, even rural entrepreneurs, like, people that live in these little 20,000-person cities, like – even if they are entrepreneurs, have their own business, they, like, don't label themselves that way. Like, they don't talk... They right. don't consider themselves an entrepreneur, you mm-hmm. know? And that just speaks to... There's just, like, this really uh, humble persona that Appalachian people have yeah. that would just, like... what You know, why would anyone want to watch our life or, yeah. or like, film us or... Right. You know what I mean? But yeah. it, it is certainly uh, rich with storytelling yeah. and value and, you know...
1: And I feel like everyone... Is from a hometown or, you know, Mm. not always a small town, but they, everyone, even if you live in LA or whatever, you have your little neighborhood where you grew up and like Mm. same value, a lot of the same values that we have here, you know, but, and that's why I feel like everyone can relate to our stories, you know, across America, even the world, you know, Mm -hmm. the challenges of, you know. Starting new businesses or, you know, having stores shut down and trying to rebuild your town. I just think it's a common narrative that, like, everyone can benefit from.
0: Mm, Yeah, and I think uh, just, like, the experience that you're bringing here, Miley, and kind of leveraging this new economy that we're in, this bottom-up, like, we-can-do-it-ourselves kind of remote way to do it is, like, uh, you know, maybe you can highlight things that I've never been able to to be created before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, And so that's super exciting.
1: Yeah. I'm very excited. And that's one of the, you know, big projects that I'm working on now too. But like you said, the Appalachian girl in me, I've never said that before, but you know, I'm very humble in the term like way I don't, Really talk about that much it's not like i'm like posting on social media right. what i'm doing or what i'm trying to do or anything like that's that one of,
0: that's one of my but, favorite things about you my is that i cannot find you on social media
1: really yeah. good okay <laughs> that, that is, a, that is a,
0: a star for me i mean that's cool well if you can live your life that way i think that's uh, it says a lot yeah, about you you know
1: yeah i mean i'm somewhat of a private person but once you I know you, you know, I'm an open book, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, but I don't want the whole world to know me if that makes sense <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> there's there's some, there's some real value in
0: that, yeah, um maybe just to, uh and let's end with some advice to local people who desire to take a big risk, move, you know pursue their passion, even if it's just to to blaze a new trail here at home, like uh, what would you say to them as someone that's um that's accomplished a lot in, in just taking those risks? yeah,
1: I would say do it. I kind of touched on this earlier. There's no time but the present. So I honestly believe there's never a good time to do anything. You know, like you can always push off starting a new business, push off having a child, push off, you know, um, going back to school. But like you just have to do it. Now is the time. And um, you never want to look back thinking, I wish I would have done that or I should have done that. Um, and also like you might fail sometimes. So just don't be too scared. I mean, I didn't know I was being brave when I was being brave. I was scared to death moving out to California. I was scared to death driving to Warner Brothers and, you know, uh, getting lost, but somehow I didn't know I was very courageous and I was very brave, but I don't realize that until now. So just do it. Do whatever you want that will make you happy and like whatever makes you feel fulfilled.
0: I heard someone in passing one time just say, uh, "Like, and it just resonated with me." It said, "Don't do it for the moral; do it for the story." Kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. like, uh, basically, what I'm saying is, it's easy to get stuck on, "Am I going to fail or am I not going to fail?" Oh, yeah. And that's just like a that's like a paralyzing lens to view view the world right. through. Right. Oh, know? yeah,
1: yeah. Because I mean, hopefully you don't fail but there are many times that you will but you just yeah, have to like and learn from those up. things oh, and like yeah. all,
0: even all those even all those shows that don't get picked up Miley you're building like a, an incredible skill set that contributes to whatever is going right. to be your success you yeah. know that's a part an important part of the process yeah
1: and another part of that too is like you know i'm building relationships with people mm. on these different shows so even if it only goes for 20 episodes i know a whole new group of crew members that I will probably be working with again, you know, a few years down the road. Right. So you just kind of build relationships and then like even in your hometown, build relationships and then you can collaborate eventually and, you know, make some really great things happen.
0: Hmm. Well, Malik, um, we're very excited to have your family here. I'll speak for the listeners. Oh, <laughs>
1: thank you. I'm very happy to be back.
0: <laughs> and uh, thank you for for sharing your story. I think uh, a lot of people are going to get value out of this, and we're super excited to uh, to see what you do in the future.
1: Jen so, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody.